0: Hello, and welcome to another great podcast from the Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher, and this time something a little different, something very special. We're marking the retirement of a treasured member of the team, Gabriel Wong, after 15 years with the Resilience Centre. Gabriel's Chinese heritage, working with so many from the Chinese community and many others, has made such a difference in the lives of countless numbers of clients and colleagues. Join me as a fly on the wall as we hear Lynn Worsley, the Director of the Resilience Centre, and Gabriel in conversation.
1: So Gabriel. Hi Lynn. So when you told us that you were retiring, uh-huh. everyone in the practice has gone, oh my goodness, we haven't asked him all the questions that we want to ask him. <laughs> And you've been such an incredible part of the Resilience Centre and such a fantastic part of the team. And you have influenced us without realising. And it's a big team now and you've seen the growth. But one of the first things you said was uh, when you said you were retiring, Mm -hmm. one of the first things that you said was that you've been working for a very long time and it's time for you to stop. So the first question I've got on my list is what was your first job?
2: I'd uh, finished high school in Hong Kong. And at that point in time, I became a primary school teacher without any previous training for two years. <laughs> and then uh, at the end, I was sacked. <laughs> I was a bit rebellious as a teenager, 18 years old. And also my school certificate didn't do well, so and I applied the Teachers College. And I got into it after two years.
1: Where was it that you did the training?
2: Now, it's called the Northcote College of Education. I did it for two years. At that point in time, I majored in PE, English and Science. Why teaching? Well, as I said, like, my marks were not great enough for me to go to uni. I was planning to, to do the teachers' college, and then, you know, afterwards might be doing some sort of, like, another degree afterwards.
1: So what did you do next?
2: I did one year high school. It was only like uh, temporary. Then I I found a job in a special education because at that point in time, it was flourishing. So you, you could be easy to find a job there.
1: Was it a particular type of school or something that influenced how you were teaching?
2: When I was doing the teacher's training, I was doing some sort of volunteer work. I went to like a, a Catholic special school for kids with hearing impaired to do some sort of like, you know, uh, volunteer work there. So I gained this sort of experience working with children with special needs.
1: So where did you study next?
2: So after two years of, of teaching, then I got married. And then the, the following year I got uh, my daughter, Matilda. And uh, I was, while I was having Matilda, I was still teaching in special education. And I was initially going to UK to study special ed. And the London University has already accepted me. But then I got uh, good news that my my wife got pregnant. (laughs) So I I had to abandon this plan. And also while I was teaching in high school, there was another colleague who inspired me. And he was... Graduated from Teachers College, but he applied for a scholarship to go to UK and to study. So I think I have to, you know, follow his path too, and I applied for a Rotary scholarship, uh, which enabled here to come to Australia to study a uh, postgraduate diploma in special ed.
1: To me, that is an absolutely wonderful thought that you had a child called Matilda, at the same time as you were thinking of going abroad to study, and then. Somehow you end up on our shores in Australia. <laughs> and what university did you study then?
2: At that time, I went to uh, now they call it Western Sydney University. Uh, at that time, they called the Nepean College of Advanced Education. Okay. And also before I came here, I was already studying uh, distance learning, Bachelor of Special Ed through the EDF Cowan in Perth.
1: I'd just like to add... In here as a comment one of the things that you're really well known for in this practice is how much learning you have done so from a young man who didn't actually make the grade in the very first instance you have learned and trained and learnt and trained and then helped us to learn and train and have so many courses now one of the other questions that's come up is like can you count how many courses you've actually done
2: <laughs> I've got the uh, Bachelor of Special Ed, Graduate Diploma in Special Ed, and also Master in Special Ed. And then, so I wanted to study psychology, so I started like uh, the Graduate Diploma in the Psychology, the Graduate Certificate in School Counseling, the Master in the Psychology Counseling. I did a few courses like through uh, James Cook, but uh, I didn't complete the diploma. Oh That's just
1: <clears throat> made seven types of degrees. So I'd just like to sort of add to anyone who's listening that in order to do Gabriel's business cards, we've almost like had to put an extra line in just for the number of qualifications that you've got. You're inspiring, very inspiring.
2: Well, I guess that at the beginning, when I did not have a degree, I already thought in my head like a business card. And at that point in time, I already achieved it.
1: You did. (laughs) One of the things that's really been lovely working with you is to actually consider your faith journey in this. You've got a process where you're studying special education. You've got this hunger for learning. But I also know you have a hunger for God. How did your psychology and your faith journey connect?
2: I was brought up in Macau like a Catholic city. And I went to a Catholic primary school. And at that point in time, my father passed away and my parents could not afford the school fees. And so this priest, also principal said, okay, so I didn't do well, so you are gonna pay half fee. Your sister is good, so she doesn't have to pay at all. I think they already planted the seeds at that time. And then I moved to Hong Kong probably in 1969 I went to like just a normal school but my mom also uh, was a Catholic so she was very insistent to go to the church on Sunday so I I grew up uh, with some friends in a church so we studied together we played together we went out together and we went to the church camp together one of my friends he went to do psychology, and when he you know, came to the study room, he talked about the psychology thing. I think he was the first one to inspire me to study psychology. And then at the end, he was a professor of psychology.
1: One of the things that I am conscious of is your um, deep prayer life, that you would have <laughs> a whole morning of praying at times, you know, times where, you know, we're... We're out doing other things and Gabriel goes, oh no, I'm going to be praying that day.
2: Well, I think my wife is more diligent than me, so she prays in the morning for an hour, but I do it after dinner. And my GP asked me, Gabriel, do you still pray? I say yeah. So my wife says, hey, he he goes to pray after dinner. And then my GP probably is kind of like, will follow me too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so How have you grown in your faith as you've practiced in psychology for the last 15 years?
2: I don't reckon I'm a very devoted Catholic. I only go to church on Sunday, festive season, things like that. But I always listen to God. I know that God is guiding me and God knows my strength. God knows me well. So he only chooses some clients to me that I could handle, but not someone that I couldn't handle. He knows me well, so I always listen to him. And uh, during this prayer, so that kind of like leave it to God. He knows me well.
1: That is so lovely, and that's inspiring for me.
2: I'm
0: loving being a fly on the wall to the to the warmth of this conversation. I think it says a lot about the camaraderie and the and the quality that goes on here at the Resi
2: Center. Could I ask you, Gabriel? Um, how did you first connect with Lynn? I guess when I was a school counselor and also studying my master, I went to Lynn's uh, workshop. I think it was about play therapy. So, and after that, I approached her and asked Lynn, "Lynn, uh, I'm doing the master of psychology. Would that be possible if I could come here to do a placement at your clinic? At that time, it was in Eastwood." And Lynn said, "Yeah, yeah, just let me know, you know, when your uh, placement comes up." That's why I first connected with Lin. and then when I did the placement afterwards, and I said to Lin, would that be possible if I can stay back and do a few uh, sessions here?" And Lin, you know, and uh, and I again gave me the chances.
0: Do you see a lot of changes from Eastwood to
2: Epping here? Yeah have you seen those changes unfold? Changes in people, and I can see the resilience centre has been growing. Over there probably were only five rooms and a small, what do you call the, the room?
1: Oh, we called it the change room. Yeah, you call the- it a
2: change room. And now it's, it's getting bigger and bigger.
1: In the initial stage, we had just a small centre with a little room that had the opportunity to do some groups and we called it the change room, the places where you change your thinking.
0: Yes, I remember that.
1: One of the things I've really valued about you being here, Gabrielle, is your ability to connect in to those people in our community who speak Cantonese and Mandarin. I've watched you go into a session where you've had to go and speak Mandarin, which is not your first language, but it's really wonderful to see that you can do that. And also your experience of working at James Roos High School, where there's been such a huge community of Cantonese and Mandarin-speaking students. And one of the things that I think is really good about that is just how you give insight into the cultural changes, not just for people from China or Hong Kong, but for people who are making the transition to Australia and the first generation of Chinese Australians. So that's been helpful for us who are not from that background, but also helpful just in that sense of using your sense of knowledge of psychology and how that will impact somebody's transition into a new stage of life. Uh, so that's been really helpful and something that we will find very hard to feel in the practice.
2: Thank you. Like, uh, my mother tongue is Cantonese, so that's not a problem. I couldn't speak Mandarin at all. And someone inspired me again during my placement. And I worked with a psychologist. She was from Singapore. And she could speak Cantonese, but she was trying to speak Mandarin. And I could see... It was very crap. <laughs> and when I said to myself, well, if she could speak Mandarin in this way, why can't I try that? And at James' house, I, I had many parents from China. So over time, I learned how to speak Mandarin, like, you know, watching videos, watching, you know, this Chinese news. Then over time, I think I do well. And even my wife says uh, some of the jargons you know he could grab so now you with with some mandarin speaking clients my listening is a 70 percent and my speaking is like 80 percent of
1: that that's wonderful yeah, so. and so inspiring over the 15 years of you being with us australia sydney and epping and Eastwood, mm-hmm. and the hills area have changed dramatically mm. and you've watched that change and in that time you've been at James Roos where you've seen a massive change in yeah. that school. Yeah. You've also seen a massive change in the clientele that we see.
2: Yeah.
1: So what do you notice is the change psychologically that you think has happened for the people that you see?
2: Well, I would say like, you know, every little change will really help me grow and help me equip myself. Whether skills, whether the way how... I work with people. I think positive sense, it really helps me.
1: What do you notice that the people need?
2: Probably like, you know, the language need, the cultural need, and also I did the, the counseling and my thesis was based on personality. So I focus on the collectivistic culture and also the individualistic culture. So I was able to use these two approaches to help students understand their parents and also help parents understand their kids. Collectivistic culture and also the individualistic culture. So would
1: collectivistic culture be the Chinese culture? Not
2: just the Chinese culture, probably the Asians, even Italian, even Spanish people, they are all within the collectivistic culture.
1: And so the individualistic culture would be?
2: Would be like, you know, Australian, UK, US, things like that.
1: I know psychologically that is a massive shift in thinking. Mm. uh, And I would imagine that would be a very big dramatic change for people to come from a collectivistic culture to an Australian culture or individualistic culture.
2: Yes, but myself is, I only learn the best of it. So that means that if this culture, this thing is good and I will benefit from that, then I will use it and I will adopt it.
1: So you can take both, exactly. best of both. Yeah.
2: So I will benefit from both. So, and I always share with my clients and parents, things like that. So every culture has its own merits.
1: So you're able to help them to see the benefits of both Yeah. rather than changing from one thing to the other.
2: Yeah, I always try to help them to say, look, look at the pros and cons. Look at the short term versus long term benefits.
1: So my curiosity here has been sparked. What I'd like to know is, has Sydney taken on a collectivistic culture, an individualistic culture, or a bit of both over the last 15 years?
2: We can't generalize like this. Okay. So maybe certain region, maybe Eastwood, maybe uh, Bankstown, even in Eastwood, on the other side of Road Street will be more Korean, you know, uh, people. And on the other side would be like more Chinese from China dwelling in. Even the different kinds of culture, they do have different sort of like strengths and also weaknesses.
1: Are they more collectivistic?
2: They are more collectivistic. Again, because of the, you know, the children are all born in, you know, in city and all educated under this individualistic culture.
1: Gosh, that must create such an enormous disparity at home between the parents and the child. It's not just a generation gap here.
2: Yeah, And that also creates stress and conflicts within the families.
1: You're saying what you have spent the time doing is helping them to see the benefits of both.
2: Yeah, so probably like helping the parents to look from the other perspectives Mm And helping, you know, the adolescent to look, you know, from their parents' perspectives would be beneficial for them rather than to make their matter worse.
1: Did you find that shift when you came from Hong Kong? Or was it less obvious? Well, because Hong Kong
2: at that point in time was a multicultural society. In my high school life, I had many teachers coming from U.S., you know, teaching me the Bible, the Bible teaching me English, teaching me you know, visual arts and history, so I was not surprised with that.
0: How has it affected you, Gabriel, being here? Not just professionally, but personally as well? Well, I was
2: working in another practice while I, I was working uh, at the Resilience Centre, and I could see the difference. So over there, we had the psychiatrists, we, uh, we had some psychologists there, there wasn't any kind of like Christian faith, a therapy center only. But here is like we can see the faith in people. We can see people are praying and they have the prayers before they have the meeting. Right? Is which is you know really really different you know, from you know there they might have a, a glass of wine, <laughs> right? And and uh, sponsored by a pharmaceutical companies that you know. They provide you the, the dinner, so it's very, very different.
0: As you have helped so many people at the Resilience
2: Centre, are there ways in which it's helped you personally? Yes, and sometimes I, I also mention to my clients that, you know, I also learn things from them too. And through the experiences, through the encounters, I learned different things from people So and also enriched my life too. Lena, how do you think that Gabriel has impacted on the Resilience Centre?
1: Oh, Gabriel has lifted our game. Oh, good. He has lifted our game I've big noticed. time. <laughs> he has prompted us to try to train in different ways and not to just stick with the one method. Uh, he has prompted us to measure and track change. He's prompted us also just to be ourselves and to play to our strengths. Mm. And one of the aspects of Gabriel that I think all of us really delight in is his honesty, um, his integrity. If he's made a mistake, he's the first one to make that admission. He doesn't put shame on people. So that opens up that dialogue, particularly in the lunchroom, of being able to share and, and to joke about our difficulties and then work out ways that we can change. So that's been a really lovely part of Gabriel. I'd like to say you know Gabriel started here as a master's student. He's the first master's student that I've had that's older than me <laughs> <laughs> and more experienced than me. And That's just a lot about both of you. Actually. <laughs> it's been it was been lovely. It was like like okay, I'm taking on a colleague here. And so he has impacted me by me going, oh, no, I wouldn't study that. And then I go, oh, maybe I'll have a look at it or maybe it's okay to study that or maybe I can talk to Gabriel about what he thinks. And we come to this wonderful dialogue between a therapy technique and how do we make sure that this is actually client centric and not just about us wanting to be curious about another way of thinking.
0: Fantastic.
2: How's Lynn? helped you, Gabriel. Would you well, say? she inspires me very much in terms of the library. So sometimes I, I use her room to do therapy. And I look at her room, and say, wow, you no, know, she's got so many books. And that's why it makes her so knowledgeable and skillful. So I must learn from her like this. So so that's why and over time I've been like, you know, trying to buy some books after going to the workshops and read the books, so that's why now at the end of my career i have accumulated so many books there so and because i owe read the residence center, i owe lynn so i need to donate this give it back to to lynn give it back to the residence center
1: gabriel has donated his entire library wow. to us cool.
2: What a wonderful
1: gesture I can't tell you how excited everybody is about this library
0: How
2: many would you say, as a rough guess?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, I don't know, because I have seen maybe over 10, 12 boxes Yes, wow. it's,
1: it's, we're just buying the second bookcase now, Lee <laughs> eh? <laughs> What a wealth of <laughs>
2: wisdom too, actually It's wonderful. Yeah.
0: I learn and I forget. (laughs) (laughs) You're not alone there.
2: Who would you say has been the most influential in this practice toward you? It's Lin. Because like, you know, in another practice, they are all psychiatrists. It's incomparable. So at work, at school counselling, I look down upon them because they they don't learn. They go home and they have a glass of wine. (laughs) And when you ask them, they, they can't tell you the exact answers. So that's why the other reason I have to buy books as kind of like my supervisors to give me this sort of like, you know, skills and knowledge straight away rather than, you know, you have to wait for the supervision's not, you know, is already gone. I have
0: no doubt that a person like you has given a great deal of thought and prayer for that matter into what's next. You would know, as we all do, about how big a step that is out of full time work and into retirement. What's next or how are you managing that?
2: The other reason I want to retire is because I noticed my momentum is going down. <laughs> because those days I could remember I was studying the, the graduate diploma in school counseling and also the master in one year and I could handle it. And those days I was doing the James Cook and I was doing the supervision for 60 hours within a whole year and I was also doing the last semester at James Cook, and I could handle it. And this year I've enrolled the uh, Master of Science in Pain Management. But every time I went there, and every time I tried to read something, after two pages I stopped. Happens to the best of us, Gabriel. (laughs) I can do that, but I don't want to stress myself at my age like that. So what's next? So I think I need to kind of like slow down and because I don't really want to force myself to learn that. So that's why I think it's time for me to quit my career and maybe to to enjoy, you know, something I did not have time to enjoy.
1: What I'd like to say here is Gabriel's inspiration in not being defined by his career. Yeah. And the the inspiration of a man who has worked incredibly hard and learned all his life, a lifelong learner but not for his own gain yes. but for his ability to give. So for me that's like that's so inspiring and what I would like to be able to model in my own life so actually seeing colleagues retire before me is actually really helpful. We don't see a lot of psychologists retiring because I think you can still sit on your butt and do some work, you know, it's still okay. Like it's not going to be onerous. But to hear Gabriel being so honest and saying, look, I'm noticing, I'm not remembering as much and, and I'm not working as hard. And so I don't want to sit in this job and not do my very best. So that's inspiring.
0: Totally.
2: Gabriel, what will you miss and what will you look forward to? After I made a decision, it's not that hard because we had this sort of family meeting. Yes. So everyone put their hand up. We support that to retire. And so there wasn't any, any furious discussion about it. So it's kind of, oh, yeah, you should retire that. And because mom has already retired you know, for two years.
1: It was only six weeks ago they made this decision, I like to oh, say. Oh, this is breaking news. Very quickly. News. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So what would you miss here? I don't miss anything here. When I come here, I focus on my clients. Yep. When I go home, I don't take anything home. That's very good. So I'm the one that I can easily switch off straight away. What will you look forward to in retirement? Well, I'm looking forward to something that I haven't got time to, to do, like exercise. I learned the Qigong and I'm doing well, So, but I haven't been doing this for a while and I love hypnosis and I do well but I really want to learn the self-hypnosis better to hypnotize myself so that I can manage my pain anytime it comes up What a project
0: Could I ask you just finally what would your message be to your clients,
2: Gabriel? All those people you've helped but have also formed you and molded you My message to my client is always, I write on the whiteboard, joy is now here. Instead, joy is nowhere. That means that they can look from the positive perspective or from the negative perspective. I think
1: they're changing the spelling. Now, here, or Or nowhere.
2: nowhere.
0: Yes. What profound wisdom.
1: Can I tell a story, please, please? You, you may. It's your podcast. I just remembered the first client that Gabriel saw when he came to the Resilience Centre. It was a client that I sent you out to one of the aged care facilities to go and visit.
0: Sounds like a test.
1: It was one of those times where it was difficult to get a master's student some clients because they weren't regularly in the practice. So we needed to find someone that would be helpful ...for Gabriel to see but also very for Gabriel to be helpful for them. And it was a, an, a lady in an aged care facility. I remember, yeah. Yes. And she was in, a, um, in her own little unit. And so when he'd get there, she'd have plumbing jobs for him to do... ...to, <laughs> to change the light bulbs, to, to do any little jobs around the house. And he came back and said, I'm not sure I'm doing much therapy... ...but I've certainly done a few jobs... And so then we started to talk about how important it was to have conversations in the process of doing some of these jobs for her. Yes. It was that sort of level of being optimistic and changing the conversation in the process of changing a light bulb that I think he did. And we would have a chuckle about, you know, starting up, what job did you have to do this time (laughs) before you could actually sit down and have the conversation and the cup of tea?
2: What an agile worker you are. I remember... Very clearly, she told me this place is like a monastery oh, dear. So
1: it, it would have been a wonderful place for, for him to be able to go in and, and spend some time with her in Fantastic. the centre.
0: Yeah. But you didn't charge plumbers' rates. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Lynn, what would you like to say to this fine man as
1: he oh, I out just, the I would love to say that I love, have loved working with you. and Me too. Yes, <laughs> we have a great friendship and let's hope this friendship keeps going for many years to come. But we also have worked very well together as colleagues yeah. and I'd like to thank you for being in the practice but also I ha- now have a dilemma, <laughs> a massive dilemma <laughs> because to fill your shoes in this place is hard. So we're advertising for someone to do testing and advertising for someone to come in and join us. But each time we're thinking, gosh, how can we fill Gabriel's shoes? And everyone's going, well, we're going to have to learn from that library he's left us. (laughs) And maybe what we will do is change some of the way we're doing things because of having to learn to do some things that you did before. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to say thank you.
2: You're welcome. Always welcome. I think um, God leads the way and we just follow him. Got yeah. a wonderful conversation and a wonderful
0: story. Congratulations mm-hmm. Gabriel. Thank you, Lee. We wish you <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening wishes you all the very best. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Lee.
0: You've been listening to another podcast from The Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. You'll find the library of all our other podcast conversations and so many great resources at www.theresiliencecentre.com.au.